0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I think it's given Labor a a stick. This would be a baseball bat. My government is concerned with the fight against inflation. Peter Dutton's concerned about fighting culture wars. And I think if the Prime Minister wants to renege on an election commitment he's taken to the last two elections... I think you should call an election. The housing system is cooked in this country.
1: And I was praying that the minister and the government would finally wake up to themselves and do the right thing. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RM Breakfast and Q&A, joining you from Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne.
2: And I'm Frank Kelly, host of Saturday Extra these days, joining you from Gadigal land of the Aora Nation here in Sydney. And soon we're going to be joined by a friend of this podcast, David Spears, political lead, of course, here at the ABC and host of Insiders to talk about what's in store for 2024. It's already shaping up as a big year in politics, the first by-election, the federal By election in Dunkley is just four weeks away, so it's all happening. But first, let's talk about you, all of you. We've had a big summer-sized break from the podcast. We hope you all had a brilliant and restful break, PK. How was your summer? Or should I say, how was your
1: European winter? I watched your Insta. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't help myself. Actually, I've got to make um, everyone laugh. A few people have said to me, did you go alone? Because there aren't many pictures (laughs) of my kids or or partner. That's because they banned me sharing their public pictures, to be clear. So uh, that's why they like their privacy. So I didn't go alone. I went with my (laughs) entire family to see my sister who lives in London. It was lovely. And of course, in the UK, they have an election this year. I promised myself I wouldn't become obsessed obsessed, but yeah, okay, I became obsessed with BBC content and the election. Look, Fran, it was a big break, but interestingly, not such a big break for the political leadership in this country, right? And that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, not such a big break at all. Normally, you know, the political year tends to wind up around the Australia Day long weekend when the fights start to break out. The Prime Minister gives a big speech, but it got going early. This year, that's for sure. The Prime Minister fired the starter's gun last week with the announcement there would be big changes to that $318 billion Stage 3 tax
0: cut plan. This is a plan for Middle Australia that delivers for every Australian taxpayer right up and down the income ladder, helping with the cost of living, nourishing aspiration and boosting participation, strengthening that connection between hard work and fair reward.
1: So that was the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. Now, Fran, before we go on, can I just say uh, it's, it's only right and fair that you actually predicted there would be changes to the Stage 3 tax cuts on this podcast, even when, <laughs> multiple times actually last year, even when I started thinking very much that the Prime Minister had really dug in on this and decided it couldn't, couldn't happen, it wouldn't be done. So credit where credit's due, you got it right. Yeah, even when I thought my credibility was going to be shredded because you of worried. that.
2: <laughs> I think I said earlier last year I just didn't see how a Labor government could go ahead with the tax cuts, stage three cuts as legislated, given the equity issues around them. I mean, the vast bulk of that $318 billion went to the top 10% of income earners. Men were set to get almost double the relief than the female workforce because their salaries are higher. The post-pandemic debt and deficit was looming large. The government was looking for cash to offer relief for rising inflation and interest rates, and there was that huge pot of money just sitting there ripe for the picking. Would they use it to refashion some more fairness into the package? I thought they would. It was a close-run thing, as you say. I actually thought I obviously got it wrong at the end of last year. You know, the PM dug in again and again. He promised he would implement the tax cuts in full. His word was his bond. And in the end, he broke that promise. Labor has reworked the stage three tax cuts. They still cost almost the same. It's the same envelope, basically, the biggest tax cut on record, I think. But the changes are going to shift the tax brackets and reduce benefits for higher income earners in order to fund returns for lower and middle income earners. And the fairness looks Something like this, a taxpayer on $70,000 a year would get a tax cut of $1,500 under Labor's package. Under the original Coalition Stage 3 tax cuts, that worker would get a tax cut of $625. So more than double from Labor is what's on offer for that what would you call that, low to middle income mm. tax bracket. Not everyone is a winner. If you earn over 150000 K, and I'm betting you probably don't feel rich, you're going to get a smaller tax cut than you thought you were and over $200,000 a year instead of a $9,000 tax cut, you're getting half of that. Government sells it as a cost of living tax cut for middle Australia. That's what it is. But it's also a broken promise. And the question now is how big a political price will the government pay for that?
1: Well, that is the big question, Fran. Now, on early indications, and it's very early still, the government, and I've spoken to many members of it, are saying this has gone down even better than they anticipated. They went in thinking it was a political winner in so much as, as you beautifully explained, more people get more money, if I can be blunt. So they they did think it was going to be a winner, but that they would still get a lot of heat their assessment at this stage, we're recording this on a Thursday morning, is that people are happier about this than they were expecting. They do, however, know there is a political price for the Prime Minister still. And remember, that can be a, a slower burn. It's not necessarily kind of something you see immediately in terms of trust and the, the language he's used. Now, you won't be surprised it's that they've already been sort of shared on social media that the coalition has constructed you know ads with the many, many times they've promised not to change these tax cuts, the word is my bond being the most elaborate of them. And I've thought a lot about why the Prime Minister used such strong language so often. I feel like the treasurer and others, uh, used a bit more careful language right um politically constructed language you know the position hasn't is the same really different languages. The prime minister, the, the word is my bond, really, really elaborate language to kind of make his point that he's a trustworthy kind of dude. Now, I think he could use that to his benefit, right? Well, I used all that language because I really didn't plan to change it until the economic circumstances of the case was made. And he's now trying to lean into the broken promise in so much as make it something virtuous. We broke the promise because we were trying to do the right thing. And that's an interesting way to frame it because it's about trying to convince people that they did this not for politics but for people. It seems to be having some success and the other big part of this, of course, is that it does wedge the coalition. How can they oppose tax cuts that see everyone going forward and if they want to support the lower and the middle end but then keep higher income earners with big tax cuts, well, that'll cost them a lot, Right here's some of what the Prime Minister and the treasurer have had to say when they've been asked if any changes were being considered
0: we haven't changed our position we haven't we haven't changed our position on the on the tax cuts I can confirm that we haven't changed our position we haven't changed our position on that
1: We haven't changed our position. That's that language I was talking about. Stronger language too, though, from the Prime Minister. So they dug their heels in for a while. Now they've proposed these pretty far-reaching changes. We're going to unpack this in more detail with David Spears shortly. But what's behind the government's policy shift here?
2: Well, I mean, obviously they have changed their position, as we've explained, but they haven't changed the position that there needs to be a tax cut for everybody. This is what the government will argue. They're still spending around $318 billion you know, over that 10-year period. Treasury calculates that 11.5 million taxpayers will get a bigger tax cut than the original Stage 3 package, and the government's hoping that that will sort of ensure them against whatever heated rhetoric Peter Dutton can come up with. As I understand it, you know, the Prime Minister was not on board. He was not on board all those times, all last year and all the last two years because he believed firmly that leaders get punished for broken promises and that trust is your most precious attribute when you're a leader. Therefore, he wasn't going to break the promise. His strategy is to try and get elected a second time. If voters can't trust you, that becomes harder. But over summer, the government understood it needed to do something bigger and broader for Australians because the cost of living was really, really hurting people, but it couldn't be inflationary, as we've discussed many times here on the podcast. Mm. And really the only option for something on that scale was that big fat $318 billion in Stage 3 tax cuts sitting there about to be handed out in July. So that's when they said about gathering the options from Treasury. I'm told that's when the PM got really on board with the plan and you know, as we heard when he's you spoke with him this week, PK. He he's now very gung ho in this cell. He's not doesn't appear to be reticent or apologetic.
1: No, he sounds like a man who's got a story. I think he's struggled to have a story at the end of last year. The government was really struggling. And they were kind of bereft of a strong economic message. Uh, people were angry. Uh, people wanted cost of living relief. But more than that, they were kind of grumpy at the government. And so this was uh, uh, playing a big role in uh, the sense of uh, what's the government about? And this was what the big reset's about. So is it working? I don't know. Let's bring in our next guest. Let's do it. <laughs> David Spears is the ABC's political lead, the host of Insiders, which returns on Sunday, and our dear friend of the show. Welcome to the party room, David. Hello, PK.
0: Hello, Fran. Is it too late in the year to say Happy New Year? Oh, we're in
1: February now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not too late. I haven't set eyes on you yet or talked to you. Happy New Year, David.
0: Yeah, great to chat.
2: Look, it's great to have you with us for the first party room for the year. And, you know, things have really kicked off with Mm. a bang. The government was, to quote the PM, working away through January, searching for cost of living solutions. The Prime Minister and the party room were very aware, David, they ended last year on a low. Anthony Albanese has got straight into things in the new year. Now, they needed to regain the initiative and the momentum. They needed to start looking like a government calling the shots rather than one stuck in the headlights. And most of all, they needed to come up with something for all those millions and millions of Australians who are really, really feeling the cost of living pinch. But, you know, they also knew the risk of a broken promise, which Mm. is, as we've said earlier, PK and I, why the PM was late to the party. Peter Dutton is a potent negative campaigner. We've seen that already. We saw it with The Voice. He was straight out of the blocks on the Today Show with Carl Stefanovic.
0: Well, I think it's just a major break of trust. It's a betrayal. uh, And the Prime Minister promised this on over 100 occasions. This is not just some throwaway comment that he made at a press conference, Carl. This is a, you know, my, my word is my bond and uh, continue to repeat it.
2: Now, the government saw that coming, of course, and they've taken this risk, um, petered up and then doubled down, demanding the Prime Minister call an early election so voters could decide. Strong rhetoric, David, but is it a winning hand? A broken promise or a bigger tax cut for 11 million people? That's the contest.
0: Yeah, look, I think it's it's obviously too early to judge whether this has been a winner or, or not for the government. And and the reason it's too early is you know we'll we'll see what happens at the Dunkley by election in four weeks or just over four weeks. We'll see what happens in Parliament next week. So I reckon Peter Dutton, you heard him there, but he's got a few more gears to go up. Mm. I suspect when Parliament I think <laughs> sits, so too. He'll, he'll throw everything at the trust issue. But I was listening to a bit of your chat just before I came on, and you're right. There's a, clearly a spring in the PM step and, and the senior government figures. I did a quick um, tally of their media appearances since the announcement, which is a week ago today. And it's a bit like the sort of post-budget sales pitch they go on, or even a, a mini campaign. that The PM himself has done something like... Uh, well, the Press Club address where he announced the change, then five press conferences, eight radio interviews, uh, nine, including this morning's with UPK, two TV interviews, Jim Chalmers, similar figures, and he's been out and about on the ground in marginal seats in Tassie and Dunkley as well. So th- that doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us they have something to talk about, something to fight for. This is, you know, after months of, Drift and working out what to do, uh, something that they can go out and argue for. They know the broken promise, even though they won't use that word or those words, is a problem. I suspect it's the sort of problem that could hurt them further down the track when we get to the next election campaign and they're mm. making new promises and you know people will cast out and say, hang on a minute, can we trust you? But right now, the money in the pocket for the vast bulk of Australians ...is what they've got to sell and I think they feel like they're on a winner with this and talking to some Liberals and Nationals MPs as well this week, the feedback they're getting and while there's no decision yet from the uh, from the Shadow Cabinet or collectively in the Coalition, the feedback from the MPs I've been talking to is they really need to pass this, they know they'll get clobbered if they don't because while people see this as a broken promise, sure... Um, they just want the money right now. It's uh, as simple as that.
2: And, David, it's it's the it's the money back in the pocket, but it's also which pockets, whose pockets. You know, mm-hmm. as you say, the PM and the Treasurer were everywhere this week. The Treasurer was, you know, apart from a number of different locations and states, was also talking to steel workers. But also I noticed in Dunkley where there's going to be this by-election uh, at a childcare centre, and the government's put out figures saying, I think it's 97% of childcare workers will be better off mm-hmm. under this. So the statistics around particularly the female workers, Workforce, the caring workforce, which is that low to middle income workforce. You know, these are there's a lot, there's a lot of people and a lot of women, particularly in that bracket. So this fits in with Labor's pitch for women, but it's very, very firmly directed where there are a lot of members of the workforce in the sort of seats that Labor wants.
0: Well, it's yeah, it, it's going to help women uh, disproportionately, and the figures you cite there make that point, right? Because you've got a lot of women in part time or low income work. It's going to uh, uh, disproportionately benefit the, the the tradies and those in the outer suburbs that Peter Dutton is very focused on, rather than the Teals winning back the Teal seats. So much we know that's his strategy. Uh, so look, you know, in, in in raw political terms, it's a clever move. As I say, what we don't know is the, the downside impact of the broken promise element here, mm-hmm. how much damage that does to the, the PM's credibility leading up to the next election, whether that is going to be more problematic. But, um, but right now, I think the government's confident that uh, they think voters will judge that the broken promise is worth it.
1: Yeah. And of course, what's the counter narrative that if they hadn't, then perhaps there's the yep. punishing of you do nothing, you change yep. nothing, you're a do nothing government. And that also has political consequences. Let's talk about the opposition's positioning. David, you just said you've spoken to MPs uh, from that side of politics, mm. from the opposition, who say, how can we stand in it its way, which I think is absolutely right. Yeah, they would like to be in a world where the higher-income earners get everything and, and then the, they keep the tax cuts for the lower-income earners. The Treasurer has put out figures about what a hit that would be to mm. the budget. That is the booby trap here, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is an ambush, and this is the way one Liberal MP put it to me yesterday. They they know Labor's set them a trap, and they're worried that some of the early comments from people like the deputy leader, Susan Lee, indicated they were going to walk into it. This was you know, when Susan Lee initially implied that they might seek to roll back the, the, the changes and revert to the original stage three plans. Now, you know, they've, they've not repeated that line. and But even the, the line that the deputy leader is now using, um, and that is that no Australian should get less than they were promised under stage three, end quote, what does that mean? It might mean passing through, waving through what Labor's now suggesting to give low and middle income earners more, and then perhaps going to the next election saying we'll give the high income earners a top up to give them the the nine grand. Well, you'd think so, but that's problematic too, Fran. Right, because as PK indicates, the treasurer's figures are it costs thirty nine billion dollars over the next four years, hundred and twenty over the decade. Where's that coming from? Either more debt, which is going to be inflationary. Or you make massive spending cuts somewhere else. It curtails anything else you might want to do at the election. So you you can see this is is the trap that some Liberal backbenchers are worried about them landing in. And this is why the Coalition's really in a wedge, because they want this stage three tax cut, but they don't want to upset 84% of Australians who'll be better off. So what do they do?
1: You've noticed the opposition is happy to talk about other parts of tax changes that might be on the agenda. So, things like, oh, are they going to change negative gearing? They're going to use the broken promise to try and perhaps run scare campaigns about other elements. At the same time, there is people calling for changes that are broad ranging and bolder reform. David, that also creates a problem for the government, doesn't it?
0: Yes. Uh, look, in, in a in a sense, it's a slippery slope argument. You know, Labor's breaking this promise. What's next? but it's also kind of fair enough right because some of the some of the answers you hear from the treasurer and others when they're asked about well what about negative gearing It's the similar language we heard on stage three for so long, right? We have no current plans uh, to to touch it. Well, what stock do we put in that these days? Look, I do think it, it could potentially be dangerous ground for Labor if this speculation continues to run. Perhaps the opposition can make some inroads there.
2: So the Coalition's arguing that Labor's getting more and more reliant on income tax, taking tax off individuals, that we're going to be paying for more and more of all the services and that's going to fall more heavily on the highest income earners. But at the same time, ruling out and trying to get, you know, Labor to rule out negative gearing and capital gains and something has to shift somewhere in the tax system over the next decade. We've seen this in the intergenerational report. If we're going to rebalance our tax system to be functional, otherwise it's going to be dysfunctional, isn't it?
0: Fran, you're spot on. But this really goes beyond just the current debate over stage three, this uh, shift Um, has been underway for years, decades, really, and you're right to point what's coming because the intergenerational report last year laid it out. We're going to be relying more and more and more on income taxes and that is going to fall uh, very heavily on younger workers in particular. With fewer taxpayers. Exactly, with fewer taxpayers trying to prop up those who are no longer in the workforce. We haven't taxed assets as much as others in the OECD, but this gets to taxing assets through negative gearing changes, franking credit changes, superannuation, trusts, and so on. We know Labor tried to tackle that in 2019. Uh, Bill Shorten took all those changes to the election. Look where that ended up. So there's been this reluctance uh, within Labor to to, talk about any of these things ever since, but the figures are very clear we can't keep increasing the tax burden on incomes without looking at how we tax assets or wealth as well.
1: So then there's the other thing, which is getting this thing through the parliament. Now, I feel very confident saying this will get through the parliament because I can't imagine a parliament that ultimately doesn't vote for this. But it will be a bit of negotiation, especially if the opposition does decide not to support it, which again, that will be you know risky mm. for them the greens then are very much in play the greens aren't uh, they want more right and they and they want uh, beer cuts for higher income earners and perhaps some other things too here's the greens leader
0: we're looking at ways of fixing Labor's plan so that low and middle income earners get more. We also want Labor to justify why they're spending $84 billion on tax cut for the top end when that money could go, for example, towards getting dental into Medicare.
1: And that was the Greens leader, Adam Bat. So David, the Greens are playing hardball here. Are they really going though to stand in the way of people getting tax cuts in those lower income brackets?
0: I'd be surprised, but I'm unsurprised the Greens are making all sorts of demands on things unrelated to this particular tax change. I mean, job seeker, dental, uh, and so on. It, look, the Greens, we, we know with the housing debate last year, will make a lot of demands. And I, I heard the Prime Minister tell you this morning, PK, we're not going to trade across a whole range of issues. I mean, the reality is, yes, they, they do trade to a degree. We saw that last year on the Housing Australia Future Fund. So, mm. look, there might be a bit of change, but I'd be surprised, coming back to the question, if the Greens would to vote against this. If the government doesn't budge, are the Greens really going to let the existing stage three tax cuts giving 9,000-plus to high-income earners flow from July? Or are they going to back legislation that pairs that back, gives more to those and, and something to those on the lowest uh, incomes? I'm sure the coalition will try to move amendments, but at the end of the day, if they're unsuccessful, I would be surprised if they don't vote for this. I just can't see uh, a world in which the uh, Liberal and National MPs can be belted by Labor for the next 12 months for having voted against uh, tax Mm. relief that benefits uh, more than 80% of of taxpayers.
1: But they voted against the energy bill relief, and their view is, some of them, that, yeah, that's fine for them.
0: Well, has it been fine for them? I I don't know. I think it's given Labor a a, a stick. This would be a baseball bat that they'd be able to clobber the coalition with for the next 12 months if they vote against uh, extra dollars in people's pockets. Mm. So this is why it's such a tricky position for the coalition. They'll move amendments. They'll try to keep the focus on credibility, trust, integrity, the broken promise – rather than the dollars and cents. But I just would be surprised if they don't back this in. And that's the view of those coalition backbenchers I've been talking to as well. They don't like this position they're in, but that's the position they are in.
2: And David, how potent is the bracket creep argument? Because, you know, at the time of the last budget, when there was a major windfall for the government, a big slab did come from the income taxes because of bracket creep. Some of the, the teals and some of the independents are concerned about bracket creep because members in their electorates are concerned about it. Now the Treasurer says he said in his speech our plan returns bracket creep for all taxpayers he said it does more to reduce the impact on those most burdened by it and the average taxpayer as a result of their package will pay $21,635 less of their income in tax over the next decade. Now that's counter to what Peter Dutton and others are saying. Can we make a judgment yet about bracket creep or in a sense is it Simply the notion that no one really understands it much anyway, people know their taxes go up and then every few years a government gets a bit of political mileage out of handing back some tax in in tax relief.
0: First thing, Peter Dutton is right to highlight what the Treasury analysis of these changes shows and that is that there will be more bracket creep under these changes, $28 billion more than the original stage three. Point two, it is a complicated message to sell, though, also because a lot of that $28 billion falls on the shoulders of the higher-income earners. In fact, the lower-and-average-income earners actually are better off over the decade under these changes than they would have been under the original Stage 3. So it's, it's really the higher end that will shoulder that uh, yes. additional bracket creep. Third point, um, if either side of politics really wants to do something about bracket creep... Well, come on! You, you index yeah. the tax threshold so that they're pegged to inflation, ah. and uh, you know, tax. and then you
1: don't and then you don't get the political dividend. But you take of, the political fun
0: yeah. out of it, where every yeah. few years a government of the day can announce big tax cuts. Neither side is going to index the tax thresholds. It's um, so one for thing that, they agree on, for that political. Look, there's a political reason. There's also an economic reason too. It does create a bit of a stabiliser in that when the economy is running hot, you do collect that extra tax revenue. And when it is not running hot, you have that revenue there to spend where it's needed uh, to smooth out, if you like, the ups and downs of the economic cycle
1: beautifully explained thank you david (laughs) i'll
0: give a shout out to my colleague tom crowley who's uh okay you pick someone's brain very smart smart. who um, has uh, knowledge on these things
1: look i want to change topic if we can just very briefly on the dunkley by-election which we've mentioned obviously this is we're having this by-election for a really sad reason um labor mp peter murphy she died of course of breast cancer um she did one of her last interviews with me actually on rm breakfast it's worth listening to she's a really powerful speaker and um, the parliament will miss her enormously she's lovely woman. But now there's a by-election in that seat. It's a 6% seat, though. Mm. Why Why is the government so nervous? And and why is there so much brouhaha about it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, 6.3% normally would be a safe enough seat. But look, this seat, as you guys know, was long-held by the Liberals under Bruce Bilson, Chris Crutha, it's the outer suburban type of seat that, you know, can can swing a lot and particularly at a by-election when cost of living is really biting, particularly in a seat like that. Look, the normal by-election swing against a government's about three and a half percent. Anthony Green points out though, he's done a lot of crunching on these numbers. If it's a Labour government and we're talking about a Labor held seat like we are here, the swing on average is more like eight point two percent. But I've also seen some figures, if it's a sitting member who's died, there's a smaller swing. Voters are more sympathetic about why there's a by-election, you know, rather than being annoyed that someone's just decided to bail out midway mm. through the term. Yeah, it's a bit So different. look, yeah, I don't know, pick your, pick your favourite figure here. I, I reckon Labor's most likely to hold on. It's a question of what the swing will be. I mean, there could be an upset and they lose it, but I think they'd hold on. If the swing's, you know, 1%, 2 3%, they'll feel pretty vindicated. If it's higher than that, then, yeah, that'll indicate some trouble. I know you were peppering the PM with questions on this this morning, whether it's a referendum. Is it a referendum on, on the, the tax, tax cuts? On tax changes. Um, he said look, no. Well,
2: he, he said, said no, but that doesn't mean that's how everyone else is going to see it.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to think it will to a large degree. I think it's the biggest issue and the timing of these tax changes. It's hard to divorce from the timing of this by-election in four weeks, right?
2: Well, yeah, and the political pain for a government that starts a year with a loss in a by-election in a seat they held by over 6%, you know, that was going to be very, very painful. So I'm sure when they were making those deliberations over summer, Dunkley came into it. Changing issues now. Elections everywhere this year, more than 40 of them around the globe, one of them in the United States. We've seen how the war in Gaza is having a major impact on Joe Biden's election campaign. Mm. The issue is challenging for the Albanese government too here in Australia and we've talked a lot about this on the podcast has the government tried to reposition over summer
0: look i don't think reposition this is diabolically difficult for governments like the australian government but you know like the biden administration it is really really difficult The latest flashpoint, if you like, in the last week or so has been this decision to suspend funds to UNRWA. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought, uh, just coming back to the PM's interview with UPK this morning, I thought his language indicated there's going to be some movement on that pretty soon. His his words were, UNRWA is the only UN body with the mandate to provide relief and services to Palestinians in the region. It is providing essential services in Gaza directly to those who need it. And this issue needs to be resolved. So what does that line tell you? Resolving this issue is paramount if they've, if they've been able to convince the US, Australia, the eight or so countries that have suspended funding, that they've fixed their problems in UNRWA, um, because these are very serious allegations that staff were involved in the October 7 Hamas attack. That needs to be sorted out, but if they can satisfy you know Australia and the rest that, that that's happened... It sounds like they're moving pretty quickly towards restoring funding. You had the UN Secretary-General, the heads of World Health Organisation, World Food Programme, UNICEF, all of them, um, point out things are incredibly dire in Gaza. There's no other organisation that can deliver aid in this way. They've got to get that funding back to, uh, to UNRWA.
1: David, I'm really glad you're back, and I look forward to watching Insiders on Sunday. Thanks for joining us. Can't
0: wait. Thanks, guys. Thanks, David. We'll move to questions without notice. I'll give the call to the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister.
1: The bells are ringing. It means it's time for our question time. And this week's question comes from Dr Daniel Garcia.
2: Hi, PK and Fran. It's Dr Dan Garcia here. Last year, I asked you for your bold 2023 political predictions. So this year, I'll ask you what your 2024 political predictions are. Thanks as always. Love the
1: podcast. Well, bold uh, predictions. Dr. Dan, you can always rely on Fran because she got it right last time. So let's start with you, Fran.
2: Oh, okay. All right. Well, my bold prediction is that the government is going to have to do more on housing this year. Housing remains the number one issue of concern for for voters. Uh, if you're a if you're a homeowner, if you've got a mortgage then interest rates are killing you. If you're a renter, then the rates have gone up faster than they've ever gone up before, and the overall problem is there's simply not enough housing. There's not enough affordable housing, but there's not enough housing for people given the uh, increase in, you know, immigration numbers over the last year post-pandemic. So it's a major concern. The government has done a lot. It's put billions and billions and billions of dollars on the table for, for housing, for construction of social housing in particular. It's got 17 different housing policies the, the fact of it is it takes a long time to build houses and this is not going to relieve anything anytime soon. So that's a problem. The government was seen to do not much for renters, even though renters are feeling the pain hugely. You know, they did give that increase in rent relief and that did help people who receive payments, but that doesn't help a lot of renters. I believe the pressure is going to be unsustainable on the government to not do more. The Greens are really running hard on this and they will run all the way the election and they will pose a problem for Labor inside some inner city seats, uh, I think around housing. That's why I think the government will do more. The upside of that though for the government, I suppose, or the other side is that by the end of the year if things go as the government's hoping it will you know, inflation will be lower, that's the sign. Real wages are growing that's what the statistics tell us government will deliver a second surplus I think they're getting more and more confident of that you know, the, the tax cuts will be in people's wages and maybe interest rates will be coming down. So the government thinks they've got a good story to tell, but but I don't think any story is going to outweigh the housing
1: pressures. Mm, I, th- I think that's very accurate and, you know, we know she'll be right. Look, I've got a couple <laughs> of things and they're just more like things that I'll be watching really closely, Sort of, sort of predictions, not quite, but something. H- hear me out. First, I think we'll get a reshuffle this year. I think we'll get a bit of a shift in the front bench for the government. I think, you know, the time will come and there are a few roles where the Prime Minister might want to see a bit more emphasis, including, as you say, housing. I also think that we are going to see some um, reports emerge, even though a lot of these things are happening behind closed doors of what this Integrity Commission is working on. Remember, that was legislated, beginning its work. And then you've got the US election this year. Yeeks. Yeah. yeah Look, the government, I can tell you, because I've spoken to key members of the government, they really are watching, right? They've, they will not say who they want to win and they'll be very careful and they know how to stay in their lane on this. But... How will the Australian public respond if there is a Trump victory? That would be an upset but a live possibility. How does that affect our politics? Now, I do think with a more unstable world, uh, Australians do feel nervous and it has implications for our domestic politics too. So there are all the things that will play out this year that I think are really interesting. In terms of a bold prediction, I don't have a bold one. That's good, though. That's a good wrap of potential trouble spots, really, and change, I reckon.
2: And the other thing, just before we go, PK, I just want to give a shout-out to the ABC's production of Nemesis. It's the TV series that's covering the liberal years, should we call it that? You know, we had Labor and Power, then we had the Howard years.
1: You did the Howard years.
2: I did the Howard years, then Sarah Ferguson did the killing season with the the Rudd-Gillard years, and now this is the Abbott-Turnbull Morrison years. It's called Nemesis. Big shout out to Mark Willisy and the team for a great job. We've only had the first, the first episode. There's two more to go. If you haven't seen it, I reckon catch it on iView before the year really cranks up and you run out of time.
1: Mm, I completely agree. I can't wait to Monday. Although I've realised, Fran, I stayed up on Monday and you know how brutal that is the That's next I think I'll just watch it on iview, which is okay. You should watch it on iview too if you can't make the actual time. Okay, that's it for the party room. But we love getting your questions and I love that one from Dr Dan just because uh, I wanted to hear what Fran would say. But you can keep sending other questions in too. Yeah. You particularly are encouraged to send in voice messages. The Party Room at abc.net.au is how you do it. Yeah, and
2: remember, follow The Party Room on the ABC Listen app so you never miss an episode. Review us if you can. We'd love to get a review from you if where you listen allows that because then it helps more people find us and that is excellent. We love that too.
1: That's it for The Party Room this week.
2: We'll be back next week, of course. See you, PK. See you, Fran.